0: That I'm not very comfortable talking on the phone and if the other end is using a speakerphone forget about it. I'm not a fan of video chats either in fact I just don't like having conversations under most circumstances especially uncomfortable ones but there are those people who care about me they want to know what's up with me in fact I'm very blessed to have a lot of people who care about me so that adds up to a lot of uncomfortable conversations yuck if there was only a way I could share without sharing a loophole is defined as an ambiguity an omission in the text through which the intent of a statute contract or obligation may be evaded I found my loophole my way of evading the conversation and this blog podcast is my loophole having the conversation my way I'm Colin McDonald, and this is The Conversation Loophole. In today's edition of The Conversation Loophole, get to know me in this brief autobiography that gives some context for the second installment of The Conversation Loophole that explores my trips as a psychonaut, travels with magic mushrooms. But first, some context. I started my growing up in Calgary, Alberta till I was 15 After that, I finished my growing in Kelowna, British Columbia, where I spent most of my life. I dropped out of high school at 17 and went to work at a local electronics retailer. My younger adult years were spent selling, installing, fixing, or operating consumer electronics. There's a whole lot of story left out here, including traveling for work to many third-world countries, producing videos for one client, but for brevity, we'll jump ahead. After years of producing commercial, multimedia projects and videos, I was hired by the local TV station and started a 20-year career as a television journalist. At the end of 20 years gathering, editing, and producing TV news, the company that employed me started to self-destruct. Seeing the writing on the wall, I volunteered to take a buyout and layoff. At the age of 47, I was unemployed and well-skilled in a field that was... Well, thanks to this new thing, the Internet, redefining itself and definitely not hiring. I was happy in my marriage, my role as father to two young kids. We owned a comfortable home, lots of family living nearby. Other than being unemployed and having skills that had no current market, things were good. It was my sister-in-law, who was a professor at our local college, that suggested a program offered at her school might be exactly up my alley. Turns out she couldn't have been more right. The network telecommunications engineering technology program was perfect for me. I had to complete some high school math in order to meet the enrollment requirements, but that would be enough for this high school dropout to start his new journey. The program was really tough. Six courses, where four was considered full-time, and there were additional courses that had to be completed after the first and second school years. Even though I had recently started treatment for ADD, I quickly realized I could not be successful taking six courses simultaneously when one of them was a high-level math. I put off the math courses till summer where I could give them my undivided attention. This worked well. I was top of my class most of the time, finishing up in the top three. I also did very well with the summer math, completing both with an A+. I worked very hard being a student. I found the role extremely demanding. It was also really rewarding. I had not experienced such a high level of success as a student ever before. In fact, most of my memories of school are of struggling and failing. I liked being recognized as a good student. I believe my success was a combination of my maturity and finally having my ADD treated. It makes me sad that I was nearly 50 before I had an ADD diagnosis and receiving treatment for it. What did I miss out on because school was such a challenge? Where would I be today if I had enjoyed similar successes in high school? After graduation, work did not make itself immediately available. Even though the manager from TELUS told me his company would be hiring our entire class when he presented me with a merit-based scholarship for being in the top three performing students the year before, the employment market had changed during the final year of school and jobs were not as available as they were before I started the program. I'm a bit of a tool junkie, having collected my whole life and inheriting my father's lifetime acquisitions. My garage was chocker block full. I'd also been buying industry-specific tools since enrolling in school, so I was pretty close to having everything I needed to start offering my services directly to the market. This was not easy. Charging enough for it to be worthwhile, and being affordable was not really possible, and I could not afford to subsidize my clients' projects for very long before I'd go broke. It seemed like I was working very hard doing high-quality work, but not making enough to justify my new venture. I did take on one client that kept me busy enough and paid just enough that allowed me to maintain things, and I might still be at it if other opportunities had not shown up. I was designing and deploying guest networks for hotels, motels, and campgrounds, mostly wireless networks or Wi-Fi. I enjoyed the work and I brought a very high standard to a niche in the industry that had mostly been serviced by amateurs. The clients loved the work I was doing. My work stood out from the competition by miles. Mine looked and operated like it was done by someone who knew what they were doing and cared because it was. While I was busy designing and deploying Wi-Fi networks for some of the largest private campgrounds in the province, I got a call from the Dean of the Faculty of Science, Technology, and Health at Okanagan College, my alma mater. Phil Ashman was calling to ask me to apply for the role of professor in the program I had recently graduated from. Okay, strong language there. Professor is an academic rank that is bestowed by a university usually to academics that have obtained a PhD, a doctorate, and spend a lot of time doing research and publishing their work but this was what the job title was, Professor. I think it might have been left over from when the college was Okanagan University College and the Faculty Association may have had it included in their contract. At any rate, this high school dropout was being offered a job as a professor. Holy shit! I applied, I was interviewed, and I accepted the job. I was now Professor MacDonald, albeit a sessional one. This was a source of much pride. My mother had been a professor there in the RN program when I was growing up. My mom was an academic obtaining her fourth degree after retiring. It must have been her that taught me, you're never too old to learn. My oldest sister had taught at OUC in the social work program before she followed it to University of British Columbia when most of the academic programs had been pilfered by UBC. To be clear, the dean and those interviewing me and offering the job had no idea my family's connection to the institution. I was offered the role on my own merit. I taught in the Network Telecommunications Engineering Program for the first semester for three years in a row. When an opening came up at the IBM company ISM that had the contract to provide the support desk to the local government health authority, Interior Health, I applied. The fellow doing the hiring, and a number of the folks in the role of service desk agent, the ones about to be my colleagues, also graduated from the N10 program. I got the job. I wasn't a good service desk agent, but the job taught me a lot and reinforced much of what I learned in school, and I was able to continue to teach at the college. My schedule was modified to work around class and lab times. ISM had its service desk department in one of the interior health buildings, alongside much of the information management, information technology department of IHA. So ISM contracted for IHA and worked beside IMIT of IHA. When healthcare and information technology get together, the acronyms get right out of control. Every day I would show up for work at ISM, I had to walk right by the network telecommunications department. Their cubicle farm was right beside ISM's cubicle farm. A number of N10 grads worked in IMIT, and some in the network telecom services department. But one better, the lead hand of the telecom team had been my cabling instructor at Okanagan College, and we liked each other, we got along well. It took nine months of me on the help desk learning the ins and outs of the IHA system before a job opened up in the NTS department And on the telecom team, I was a natural choice. I took the job. This was a dream come true. I was now working in my hometown for a great employer of significant size. The pay and benefits were quite good given the local employment environment. Better packages were available if one was willing to move to the big cities of Vancouver or Calgary. But you were not going to find a better job in the Okanagan. The telecom team was small. I brought the numbers up to three. But we worked really well together. We liked each other, and the work was starting to get really interesting. IHA had nearly 200 facilities and almost as many computer networks and phone systems. And the phone systems, almost every one of them, was so old that it was no longer supported by the manufacturer. This is a serious situation. You cannot have a hospital phone system fail. Lives are literally on the line. We had to start designing and replacing phone systems yesterday. Some of the systems had a dozen phones, others had thousands. We had a lot of work and the pressure to get the job done was building. We also had to maintain the old phone systems. Our department was about to get bigger. As new positions were created, my co-workers in the old positions moved on to other opportunities. Soon I was the lead hand in a much larger department. My age and maturity were a good fit for my new role as leader but I was still new to the industry and found that some of the younger hires had a more robust background than I did. I loved the work, but still, wet behind the ears, I had to pull back on my responsibilities. It made sense. It was hard to allow others to make decisions. I had enjoyed setting directions and establishing systems and standards. To watch some of my work be undone or... Choices made where I'd have gone another way, even hurt a bit. But things were unfolding as they should. I was still excelling in my work, loving what I was doing, and getting a real charge starting, working, and finishing some rather large projects. The pressure was on, but it was a good kind of pressure that, that helped me succeed. I was not used to making mistakes. Oh, sure, occasionally something would not go exactly like I had intended. But I was not in the habit of screwing up. Sloppy was not my style. But that started to change. I noticed I was starting to make mistakes, silly ones, that often I had to confront newcomers to the department about. I was embarrassed. What the Sam hell was going on? It had been a couple of years since my neoendocrine cancer diagnosis, where the oncologist had pronounced I had plenty of life ahead of me, 11 to 12 years baffles me how he could describe a dozen years as plenty of time i had just started regular injections of lanreotide a treatment intended to slow or stop the growth of my carcinoid tumors my reactions to the every 28 day injections into my butt had been everything from severe to almost nothing no pattern or trend is detectable whether it was the cancer the treatment or my declining mental state it's not clear but I was having a harder and harder time coping at work. My mistakes were adding up. I was aware of cognitive impairment. The unpredictable reactions to the treatment were unsettling. I met with my psychiatrist and GP and asked them if they would support me going off work. Both did not miss a beat when they agreed and both responded with something like, what took you so long? And with that, the process of going off on long-term disability started. The process is frustrating and boring, so I won't get into the details here, but after using up months of sick leave accrued because I'd never used sick leave before, then spending a short time on unemployment insurance, the LTD kicked in. I found I felt really guilty about not working. I didn't feel like I could even smile because... Someone might see that and say, see, nothing wrong with that, freeloader. I didn't post anything that might be interpreted as me being capable of doing things in fear that, that it would fuel this imaginary critic scouring my social media looking for proof that I was plain possum. If I'm well enough to do that activity, then I'm well enough to be at work. This really fed my depression and my anxiety, making life even more miserable my wife took a tropical vacation without me because I couldn't bring myself to having any fun for fear it might be seen as proof as I was faking my illness. I wrote something back then to help me articulate what I was feeling. This was September 9th, 2021. After a conversation with my mother-in-law, Burl Cook, where I had a revelation about how I felt about being a cancer patient, I looked up imposter syndrome. This is a psychological pattern in which the individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments, and has a persistent, internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve what they have achieved. I never felt more like this than when I was hired as a college professor to teach in the N10 program at OUC. A high school dropout walking the halls of academia? Who the hell did I think I was fooling? I knew any minute security was going to show up and escort me out of the building. I felt like a fraud for the two years I went to private school where I was a middle-class fish-out-of-water in an upper-class exclusive pond. When my family moved to Kelowna, I was an imposter Kelowna kid, convinced all the other students were local-born and had known each other since the beginning of time. As a student in his 50s, older than most of my instructors, it became very clear I was a digital immigrant surrounded by digital natives, wet-behind-the-ear little shits that could do circles around me. Even when my grades were in the top three, I still felt like it was a mistake. If they double-checked my marks, I'd be on academic probation for sure. I felt this way as a spouse, a parent, and the whole time I worked in broadcasting. So it was when I was chatting with my mother-in-law I recognized I felt like an imposter cancer patient. As bad as things might be for me, there's so much worse for so many others. My treatment doesn't make my hair fall out or kick the shit out of me like chemo does to so many. My expiry date is measured in years, not months. And I'm not really, really sick. And yet it's very likely. Cancer is what will kill me. And it will do it before the next propane tank I buy expires. Thank you for taking the time to listen to The Conversation Loophole. Thanks to my mother-in-law and sister for vetting my script, and thanks to my nephew Jake for creating the music. By definition, a conversation is between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. Please add your side of the conversation by leaving your thoughts in the comments. Until next time, I'm Colin McDonald. So long for now.